Hello you, tuning in to Psychomedy. It's Rafaela here from ThreadUp. ThreadUp brings exciting new changes to its services in direct response to what we learned while supporting comedians and creatives through the crisis with their mental health and including those who lost their income. Check it out at threadup.co.uk and get in touch to arrange your therapy that supports creativity. I'm Nathan Cassidy, stand-up comedian and Bachelor of Science in Psychology, a subject I've been studying for 25 years and a quarter of a century of exploring the fascinating way our minds work on and off stage. Alongside being stand-up for the last 10 years, has let me here today discussing the psychology of comedy with today's very special guest, the brilliant John Holmes. John, hello. Hello, Nathan. And and I, I take I will take the word brilliant there, but to be honest, I've heard previous <laughs> episodes of this and you say it about everyone, so I don't feel special. <laughs> Well, you are particularly brilliant then because you've listened to previous episodes of this uh, podcast. Ah, so yes. You're the, you're the only well. one. So you are especially brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> A I big like fan of psychomedy, John Holmes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't say but that. <laughs> <laughs> but he only listens to the start, to the word I describe. That's right. That's um, right. I just wanted to hear how you describe other people. That's all I'm interested in. <laughs> I know your mind games. <laughs> Let's put in some different options. The absolutely phenomenal, the average, the uh, <laughs> the quite good. <laughs> it's all all of that's generous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So John joins me on Zoom. We've just been lamenting the fact he's not on my sofa. I do miss particularly you, John, being on my sofa. But you join me on Zoom. <laughs> um, so by the time this goes out, we'll be out of lockdown two um, and the five day Christmas Corona parties. We'll be just a few weeks away. How how has the year been, John? Has it been brilliant, well, just like you <laughs> and all your other guests? Uh, it's it's been. Um, I I've tried to stay busy. I mean, you know, in all honesty, I've quite I quite like lockdown. I've decided, yeah. and the reason for that is a lot of my life before was spent on trains because I don't live in London, but that's where you sort of have to go. Mm. Um, and, a, and a lot of it was spent doing that, exactly that, uh, uh, which is fine because I would always treat a train as a sort of mobile working office and the internet was always so bad, there was no distraction. So <laughs> I, I, I kind of didn't mind that. But, but when it came to lockdown and, and if you do need to go out for essentials only and the roads are clear and you can do what used to take 25, 35 minutes in about five minutes, yeah. I suddenly started thinking, I love this. And the <laughs> fact that, that I didn't have to go anywhere and I could do, sort of do it all from home yeah, was excellent. So I, I yeah. and, and, you know, and I have, I mean, I've been fortunate in that I've had stuff to do. So yeah. uh, I mean, a lot of that involves, you know, includes painting a bathroom, but it's fine. You know, I, I just <laughs> kind of like, I'll tell you what it is, right? I'm a big fan of Christmas, as you mentioned it. And the mm. thing I like most about Christmas is the, the knowledge that, 
everybody, i.e. your enemies and peers and people who you don't want to do better than you, are all doing the same thing on Christmas Day, which is more or less nothing. So there's no competition. So why lockdown's the same as that? It's like one long Christmas Day where you think, oh, oh no one's getting ahead. I like that. Well, there's a little window into your mind already. <laughs> which is the same as all performers. I there must be someone working on Christmas Day and getting ahead, surely. I mean, not the Queen, that's recorded. I'm not yeah, particularly jealous right. of the Queen. <laughs> no, I, I mean, there are there are people working, <laughs> clearly nurses doing their <laughs> excellent job, you know, ambulance yeah. drivers, key workers, shall we call them? Are the, be are the best? Who are off for are two the, weeks. Are the best nurses working on Christmas Day, John? That's the question. I think it's the B team, isn't it, realistically? <laughs> I mean, if you looked at the stats of people who die on Christmas Day. Uh, <laughs> as we will increasingly. Um, you know, it's shift, it's shift patterns as well. <laughs> isn't it? So, you know, you don't want to be going to hospital in the afternoon after a nurse has had a Christmas lunch, is all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you don't want to get a flight on Bank Holiday Monday. You don't want to get... You don't want to get ill on Christmas Day. Um, anyway, but yes, good that you've been busy, I guess, um, working so much in radio and so much. Your comedy CV is so long, so long. Yeah, radio, yeah, TV, BAFTA, so. speech writing, BAFTAs, awards, sent around the world, travel writing. Tell me, tell me, John, despite other people being busier than you potentially on Christmas Day, tell me it makes you happy. Tell me. It makes you happy. Well, it, I mean, <laughs> it, I mean, you don't, I don't think you go into this business wanting to be happy overall, do you? I mean, it's, you know, it's going to be a roller coaster of hell. So, like with everything, Nathan, there are there are highs, uh, and then there are very, very dark lows, of, of which you know I have. I'm not saying I have more than my fair share, but I'm certainly experienced in them. Let's put it that way, because th that's just how it goes, and I think that's probably the same for for everyone isn't it i don't mean psychological lows although i suppose that comes off the back of it um mm. i mean actual physical get off my radio station you offensive <laughs> man sort of <laughs> sort of lows <laughs> yes and we will we will go in we will go into that thought you might um, i thought you might <laughs> in a bit of detail later but i guess i mean has there been has there, i mean you, you say you say you paint a picture of you know, incredible, many lows. Is that the case or are you just, has it been, I mean, well, your CV I, is so long and so rich, surely all those moments on your CV have made you happy, surely. Well, I mean, you, you remember the lows, don't you? It's the same as remembering bad <laughs> yeah. reviews. It's the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I mean, I don't, <laughs> I, you sort of, like, what, what happens with me is this, all right? If, and, uh, you know, you, you, we've spent countless, uh, time pitching ideas or trying to get things off the ground and get things made over mm. the years and you know 90 percent of them don't go anywhere and that could be for mm. a variety of reasons usually it's because the person who liked your idea then left and the new person went oh that's their idea i'll get rid of it that happens a lot <laughs> in this industry and then people oh yeah so this who now, who, now, who now you're reminding me of all my lows there we go <laughs> um i'm happy to help uh, and, and so uh, you but you tend to remember those things and i and I was thinking about this before I spoke to you because I knew this would come up. Uh, and, and it's about, I do have a, 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 not a fear, but I have a, I think I take rejection badly. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And I take it personally as well, mm. yeah. initially, but only for about 24 to 48 hours. Because mm. then there's some, another plate is spinning somewhere 
which you can sort of pick up and go, oh, I'll spin that one for a bit and see what happens. But I yeah. certainly, when things don't happen, they get cancelled, I get fired, or they don't get picked up for whatever reason, which of course is inevitable. I realise <laughs> that. Uh, so it's not like it comes as a surprise because that's 90% of this yeah. for everybody. Yeah. But I do take it quite personally because, I, I, and I think I know the reason. I mean, do you want me to leap straight to the psychology? Of course. Do you want to sort of course. lead me in? I don't, it's up to you. I don't know <laughs> you dive in, John. Dive in. Well, I, I don't know this because I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not trained like you, <laughs> but it's just my armchair layman guess. Right. Mm. So I was adopted. Okay. Mm. Uh, at a very young age. And I don't know whether that's, a sense of rejection mm. that I have mm. that's, that's manifested itself into, into the real world, into my work. Whereas if someone goes, oh, I'm not interested, you know, you know we can't, we can't make, we're not going to do that. We're not going to, we like that idea, but we're not going to, we're not going to go with it. And I, and I think, mm. why are you rejecting my baby? <laughs> <laughs> or something, I don't know. But that's a theory I have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think most, uh, I mean, most, most of us, even performers or non-performance, I think rejection, I would doubt that anyone takes rejection well. Um, so I don't think you're, I don't think you're alone in suffering at least 24, 48 hours from rejection. I mean, yeah, we've probably all been rejected so many times. I was going to, I was going to release a book of rejection emails and letters and uh, <laughs> called a hundred called a hundred rejections but then i mean mine would be a mine would be a series of volumes if i'm honest <laughs> <laughs> yeah but then i think somebody pointed out or i'll take credit for the joke somebody said well that would again be rejected by the publisher so you'd have to change the title <laughs> so, <laughs> and all so, the yeah. circle goes yeah <laughs> yeah so no i don't i don't think you're alone but yeah absolutely i've read you know i've listened to your stuff over the years and i've um, heard you talk about the and I've read your book. I've read your book um, where you touch to a certain extent. You were the uh, one, etc. Yeah, yeah. 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 You, you, you've, you've done a light touch, haven't you? On I think on on your adoption, and uh, you know, of course, I, I was going to go into that, and I, you know, maybe pick it up later. But um, but yeah, I mean, there have there there have been. Have you have you been aware of psychological studies on adopted people? Have you looked into that at all ever? Have you been interested? Because I know you're you're not interested in. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> well, here's the next hour, John. I'm going to fill you in. No, I'm not. Um, but um, I know you're to fill in the audience if they're not aware. And I think this is the case that you're not. You've never been interested in you know finding out uh, about your heritage, and um, you know you had a very. No. You had a happy upbringing. You were adopted at one month old. Is that is that right? Uh, yes, that is right. I think the process. Well, since I wrote that book, I've learned more. Actually, mm. weirdly, and you find me. We're recording this at an odd time because only yesterday, which will mean nothing to anyone listening, I found out loads more about oh, wow. what happened. Wow. And so it's all quite new to me. So this is oh, an interesting wow. uh, bit of timing oh, on wow. your part. But um, how did you, how did you find out? If you don't mind me asking. Well, I I sort of I did one of those. My wife bought me one of those DNA testing kits. <laughs> that, uh, oh goodness! Are, which are a secret government way of getting your DNA on file. We all know that, right? <laughs> and uh, and so I. Uh, put some 5g in a bag and i sent it off <laughs> to a government database but it, it came back and it said uh, that i was something like 78 79 percent 
uh, Irish slash Scottish, but mm. from really specific areas of Ireland and Scotland in terms of the blend of DNA. So mm. it's the islands off the top of Scotland and the bottom east coast of Ireland, which when I Googled where it was said, mostly a bog. <laughs> <laughs> so I so but then I thought, well, that's interesting because I had no idea about that. And of course, my mm. adoptive parents had no idea about that. Because mm. that where did that so I was like, ah, oh, this is great. That's interesting, isn't it? I had no idea. I was 80% Irish and Scottish. <laughs> so I was like, mm, okay. So so I was a little bit curious about that. And, and to get any further on the, on the, on the DNA thing, mm. um, you, you, you have to have information that I didn't have. <laughs> so I thought, well, where am I going to get this information? Because you need to put a name in. You need to put a parental name in. And, it's, yeah. that's, and, you know, I can trace my adoptive family, fine. But how do I do my actual blood relatives when I don't know any information? So mm. I contacted the county council where it happened. And this was back at the beginning of the summer and, and it's taken so long what with COVID and everything else for them mm. to come around and say, Oh, you know what? There's quite the file on you. Would you like, <laughs> uh, would you like to, would you like to have a go at it? And, and so yesterday was a Microsoft teams meeting with Linda wow. and, uh, and Linda sort of summarized what they knew, uh, which I'd wow. never known. And I, I knew some of it, mm. um, which I think I'd written about in the book, but there was a yeah. lot I didn't know. And, and certainly when I phoned my parents yesterday to say, Wow, they'd got no idea either about a lot of that because they weren't told. It was a very different time, you see, back then, and, and information wasn't forthcoming, neither to the yeah. kid or the adoptive parents. Wow, my goodness. Yeah. Well, this is um, interesting, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I can't remember I mean, what the original question was and why I got onto that. No, I mean, it's, uh, um, you know, I'm uh, happy, to, happy to go onto this because it's obviously, it's obviously so interesting from, from someone that you, you wrote that you weren't interested in learning about this, and now... Yeah based on something given to you was it just was it just the fact based on some spit in a bag <laughs> <laughs> was it just the fact that the, the dna test was given to you that, that sort of thought well why not or was there well, anything i think else it was when it came that? back i mean when i thought about it before when i was writing the book i i, I think mm. i mentioned that i didn't have any need or desire to trace my original parents because i i didn't have the gap that i know yeah. some adopted kids have to mm. fulfill because my parents did all that you know, it was yeah. never a secret or anything. It was like from day one, uh, we chose you. It was always like that. It was always made out to be totally normal. Uh, and, and, and so it was for me. It was it yeah. never been an issue. You know, I have a very good relationship with them and, and was brought up in the right way and proper. <laughs> and so, you know, and I come from, you know, working class. My mum was a nurse. My dad was a builder, working class family, you know, very working class. Didn't have a lot of money, all that stuff. So, mm. but it was a very loving house. And so I felt no desire whatsoever to think I need, I need to find out I've got a gap to fill. It just didn't occur to me. And while there was a passing curiosity, and then when I had kids, I suppose 10 and eight years ago, I had a slight, on their behalf, sort of, I think when you have to fill in a lot of forms that say, what's your medical history? And you don't know, you start to go, ah, what if there's a time bomb of, pain coming down the track at me uh, that I don't know about it would do I want to yeah. know I don't know so those were mm. vague thoughts and then I thought well what if my kids eventually want to trace because they know I mean I've never hit it from yeah. them either they know exactly what adoption is and how it works mm. and all that um and I suppose I thought what if one day they want to do some tracing? I should probably give them a helping hand because uh, it'll be a long time f f 
till they want to do it, if they want to do it, mm. to check their bloodline. Mm. But they won't have anything to go on. So really, mm. I think I should find out what I can just to give them something to go on mm. if they want to use it later on. I think that was my thinking. Yeah. Oh, God. So, I mean, based on what you found out yesterday, do you think you're going to discover who it was? Well, in this day and age, Googling is a wonder, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> so when they start giving you names, you can go, oh. Oh, so you've got names. So, oh, yeah, you get names oh, wow. and you get... Okay. Um, I mean, I don't think this is for every. It's in everybody's file, but it happened to be mine. And mm. so there were names involved and also occupations at the time and addresses at the time. Wow. All of which I'm allowed to access. It's my prerogative to do so. And then to do yeah. with that information what I wish. Now, they yeah. advise, rightly, don't go around knocking on the door. That would be insane. <laughs> you know, what are you doing? Playing take that, um, yeah. Dave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do that because you don't know the circumstances just don't so you know there are rules not rules it's just oh, advice God. to say if you want to try go any further you yeah. need to speak to an intermediary a government appointed intermediary uh ofsted registered and inspected why ofsted no idea and they oh, wow. uh and then they will do it on your behalf in a very in a subtle way rather than you go around <laughs> and shout to the letterbox why didn't you want me <laughs> and then didn't you say but I'm John Holmes, the broadcaster. Yeah. I this, will clearly make this into a show. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about this on a podcast tomorrow, <laughs> Linda. <laughs> oh, my yeah. goodness. Are Why you did you it? reject me? This is going to annoy me for 24 for 48 hours. <laughs> oh, dear. So, I mean, wow, you might be, you might be then days, weeks away from... If I pursue it, yeah, and yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't know whether I whether whether how far, yeah. far to go with it. Really, I, I'm not. I'm not sure yet. As I say, Goodness. this was only yesterday, so I'm also I'm sort of <laughs> processing it through you. Now it turns out. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, God, please, please come back on. As <laughs> <laughs> and when this story. Yeah. yeah. Don't make don't make yourself a show about it. Just I, I should be a long lost about. family. No offense, Nathan, but long lost family. Yeah, that's got a good viewer. Yeah, I know. Numbers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. So um, I mean, we we talk on this podcast a lot, and you'll know this because you've listened to every single episode, at least the first minute, um, about what what creates a, a comedian and a um um and a comedian psychology being different to others potentially and we talk about nature versus nurture and yeah you are unique as a guest on psychomedy not just by being so brilliant but um to have, <laughs> to have well up to this point no idea about your genetics you know and has, has that um before now over the years um caused any kind of thing in your mind like when i'm thinking of my what i'm turning into i go oh that's my dad you know yeah and you can also use it as an excuse it's like well i'm drinking so much <laughs> <laughs> because that's my dad just as an example or um or i'm certainly like my creativity i think comes from my grandma because i know she was one of the first ones to have a camera and she was constantly kind of getting me on camera and things like yeah. that so have you thought about that over the years i have yes and, and i but that's I a gap isn't it it is a gap and i i do find it fascinating the idea of nature and nurture i think is absolutely fascinating and i and i i am i suppose uniquely placed for me anyway you know to, to, to go okay well i've had both so which do i think it is and mm. the, the the honest answer is I, i'm i'm still not sure because i i my as i say my adoptive parents nurse and a builder right 
Mm. And so the the nurture side of that, when I was very, very small, uh, involved my dad trying to teach me practical things like how to mend a puncture on my bike or as I grew older, you know, how to fix the water pump on the car when it exploded. Mm. Absolutely clueless me. I mean, I ha- I cannot do any form of DIY whatsoever. <laughs> it, my brain does not work in that way. I can just about these days put a shelf up, but the effort it takes and the amount of swearing, <laughs> I, I, a picture, a picture would take me a long time to get right. I, I just can't. Ditto, I just, I, I'm just, yeah. well, I can tell one of the ones behind you is very... <laughs> yeah, I didn't put those up. Slightly annoying. I've, but, I've done nothing else. <laughs> no, yeah. but it, it was... Um, it, it's, so I've never had that. And I it used to sort of occasionally take me to work with him, you know, come on, building a house or whatever he was building at the time, come and come to work. And I, I had no interest, you know, I couldn't at all. So I think he was very sort of, oh, what's he going to do or be? You know, very old school sort of way of doing it. Where's his trade? Where's the skill? What's going on? And my mum was a nurse. And so, uh, and that wasn't a thing. And so I don't know. And all, all I was doing as a kid, really, I suppose, was writing. Certainly doing a lot of writing. Uh, um, that was my thing at school was what I could do best. And quite elaborate essays. And I read adult books. I don't mean pornography. I mean, <laughs> quite early on, you know, kids were reading Famous Five, but I, I'd done that already because mm. I'm sort of picking up every book I could find. I spent yeah. a lot of time going, being annoyed when I ran out of books on the shelf of the library I liked or whatever. So, you know, mm. I, I was reading like Day of the Jackal and stuff like that <laughs> quite early on. I don't know why. Found it on a shelf. <laughs> looked interesting that's great liked the cover i judged a book by its cover um <laughs> and and so that was that was always the thing and, and again like many comedians and and performer types i suppose i was making tapes all the time hmm. of of my own little radio shows you know presenting this and and hosting that and doing that on, yeah. on my old uh, you know record play pause hmm. cassette recorder so i did a lot of that where that I don't know where that came from, right? So that's yeah. not nurture because nobody was doing that. You know, there was no nothing around. Um, but I'll come back to that because there's a there's a sort of way in. Mm. Um, and then, so I always wondered about the nurture, the nature thing. I nature, always thought, well, yeah. per- perhaps there's something innate of this from my birth parents. Mm. Um, and I, I, again, it's too early to sort of say exactly what they did, but from what I learned yesterday. Um, no, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> you know, I'd like to say, and one of them, well, my, my father was Laurence Olivier. No, 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 nothing like that at all. Um, so, I, so I still don't know where it came from, although I did learn that my mum was creative. Yeah. Certainly, that was mentioned on a, on a form somewhere that she was interested yeah. in, in creative, uh, you know, um, creative, creative pursuits, I think. Yeah. So, so I don't know. But the moment of getting into... Uh, the com- the comedy thing was all down to my dad, I think, in terms mm. of uh, my adopted dad. Because, and I've spoken about this before, but um, you might make more of it. I don't know. And again, this is my cod psychology, I suppose. Mm. So my mum was a nurse, as I've said, and she used to work nights. So she would go to work at around nine o'clock at night after she put me to bed. As a really a young a young kid, so this would be. So, did she work Christmas Day? 
<laughs> Only one, but she killed five people. They <laughs> never asked her to do. Never asked her to do it again. That's good going for Christmas. <laughs> that's the average. <laughs> good callback. Uh, so, um, so yes. Yeah, so she'd go to work at nine o'clock at night, having put me to bed. So this would be mid seventies, right? So I was really young. And then my dad would wait for her to go, come upstairs, and say, "Come and watch this." <laughs> he get me up. I go downstairs, and he was watching repeats of Flying Circus. Okay, great. And and so he'd sit me down in front of Monty Python's Flying Circus. I had no idea what was going on. That you know, all, as far as I'm concerned, there's just a man being hit in the face with a fish. But that was funny. He was laughing, and that's good enough for me. Dad likes this, so I like <laughs> this. Yeah. And and he, and then after that finished, he'd go see great bonding moment or whatever. Mm. You never said that, but that's clear what was going on. And I go back mm. to bed. So I began to associate comedy with things i wasn't supposed to do because <laughs> don't tell your mother you know that's the, the sort of way plus he had goodies albums he was a big fan of the goodies and he had goodies on mm. vinyl and he had a couple of goodies books and stuff kicking around mm. and a peter sellers album and bob newhart or whatever yeah. so that was my introduction into comedy was was what he had around i think mm. um and what he liked dad's army you know, and so I was, I, we'd watch those sort of things. Yeah. And, and then I remember, 19, it was 1979, we were watching a newfangled programme called Not the Nine O'Clock News. <laughs> and I remember, a, a, this is a very early memory, I'd sort of seen the news, right? I was aware of John Craven's news round or whatever <laughs> I was watching. And I knew that, and we used to go on holiday to Wales all the time. And I was aware in the news that Welsh nationalists, I didn't know what they were, but I, I knew the phrase, were burning down holiday cottages um, owned by English people in Wales. That was big news at the time. Right. Running alongside that was a TV ad that I was familiar with about the National Coal Board and their, their strap line was come home to a real fire. So I was aware of both these things. <laughs> we sat down to watch Not The Nine O'Clock News and I would have only done so, I think, because of my dad. And there was a sketch that went, come home to a real fire, <laughs> buy a cottage in Wales. <laughs> and a light went on in my head and went, Oh my God, that, I don't quite know why it's funny, but, they've, but I recognise both of those things and they put them together. And one's from the, that's from the news. <laughs> and there's a, com have they done, you know, and I remember my dad really laughing at it. And, and mm. I suddenly thought, oh, you can be funny about the news. <laughs> and that's, that's possibly the earliest memory I have of realising that could be a thing. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I mean, who knows where where creative where creativity comes from and nature nurture? But I would imagine a lot of people who have creative parents uh, are growing up in households where there's creativity around, so it's nurture as well. So whether it's in your genetics that you are creative, I would imagine that it's more about even if it's in your genetics. If your if your parents never played Monty Python like they did with you, you're never gonna. Yeah, you know, be into that kind of comedy. So yeah, I mean, I yeah, I read about that moment in your in your book, and it's and it's wonderful. I mean, I've got kids, and um, yeah, trying to trying to <laughs> because they sometimes ask, "How do you do comedy and stuff?" And it's very hard to explain, but that's a lovely moment of like a flashbulb memory for you. Isn't it? Yes, it is, and I I was aware that I didn't know what to do with that information, but mm. I was just amazed that that could even be a thing. You know, yeah. the, the news had suddenly turned into a, a joke. And I was like, how have they, Cause, you know, because Python was never topical. So I was aware yeah. that, you know, you could make jokes about parrots or whatever and arguments yeah. and mm. walk about in a funny way. But I, but the <laughs> moment that happened, I was like, whoa, 
you know that's mm. uh, that's that's something that you can turn that round and do that and i think yeah um but the nature nurture i think you're right i think it's a mix of both isn't it It has to be somewhere yeah, along them. yeah. And, it, and interesting that you mention that you associate the best comedy with breaking rules because john as you alluded to earlier you have broken a few rules in yeah. your in your life and just to mention that there have been as i say many psychological um studies into um adopted people and this may hold no water at all and in fact lots of um lots of studies have been debunked and um it's not an agreed thing in psychological circles at all and it's a little bit controversial but there have been studies of um adopted people to say that they um uh, are potentially more likely to break the rules are more likely to um go against authority certainly so that's something that you have done. If you were studied in these psychological experiments, they go bingo. It must they be would. They it absolutely, must be. they absolutely would. And, and, <laughs> and it's yes, and it's not just authority in terms of you can't do that in comedy. It's, it's yeah. absolutely everything from parking tickets to <laughs> <laughs> every little thing. I will kick back. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but why adopted? What's the reason they think that's an adopted thing? Well, I mean, as I say, it's been it, it it's been put to one side to say that isn't true because okay. that's, it's more about nurture and they're trying to find things. So I wouldn't potentially like, want to give it the credence, but I, I just thought it was interesting because yeah. based on your career, I mean, people may not know this about you, but um, you have broken a few rules. And what, I, what, I, what I thought was interesting, what I thought was most interesting about these things was you did some of these things quite early on in your career and whenever yeah. i've been in these environments so you've been you know you, you've been sacked from radio shows and whenever i've been in these environments tv or radio and i've been and i'm sure most people are like this but particularly when they're starting out i remember myself you know at age 20 boy was i on my best behavior of course i was um but there you were john um <laughs> if i have to remind you apparently um, urinating in Derma O'Leary's death <laughs> <laughs> um, very early on in your broadcasting career and being sacked from Virgin for persuading a nine-year-old girl to spell out and then apparently say the word soapy titwank. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, that, that, is, that is enlightening. It must be to a certain extent on your psychology that you were prepared to break these rules so early on i mean have you always been like this at school and you know you say like you like this not just in broadcasting but well, i don't it's, uh, the school thing's interesting i mean i don't recall doing anything and getting into trouble at school you know i wasn't the the school rebel in that sense i, I mean i suppose mm. like under the radar possibly but never you know, it wasn't. So I don't think if you went back to to my mum or dad now, or and said, you know, was, did he do that at school? They'd always say I kicked against authority, so I probably questioned things all the time. I certainly did question everything. Mm. Uh, whether that, I suppose, in certain circumstances, that could be seen as kicking against authority. I mean, another for instance. So I used to go to Sunday school when I was a kid um, because my mum was into church and stuff, still is. And so on Sunday mornings, we, we went, I went to Sunday school just because that's what happened. And I remember kicking against that quite a bit because I just found it preposterous. You know, the things they were telling us, and this was a young age, you know, I think, you know, the, the, the Sunday school teacher had to take my mum aside and go, um, why is he doing this in front of everyone? You know, because I, because they say things like, oh, and Jesus, he, he turned the water into wine and then carry on with the story. And I sort of put my hand and go, um, how? And they go, well, uh, 
It's miracles. And I go, not good enough. You're going to have to explain that. And while we're here, the walking on water and healing the sick thing. I mean, come on. Really, you know, and I would quit. I would. I remember questioning those those notions, mm. and everything they were telling me that was fact from the Bible or whatever. <laughs> I'd be going, "This isn't. This isn't true. Why is an adult telling me something's true when it palpably isn't? I don't understand that. You're not supposed to be lying to me. You're an adult, and I didn't mm. get it. So I started questioning everything after that. And then I think I just assumed all adults were lying to me always, and so probably <laughs> including teachers. So I probably just questioned everything. <laughs> Yeah. So, so where, I mean, that they are quite dramatic moments, those, and I'm sure you don't want to relive them. So just the final point on this, but um, more than you know, there, ha- there have been several moments like this. And as I say, coming, some coming early on in your career, where, how did you feel at those moments and where do you think they came from doing these kind of, I mean, the, the, the nine-year-old thing, I can see where that came from. Maybe it's just a kind of a joke and it's a joke and it's joke funny. That got out of hand. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. a joke that got yeah. out of hand, but talk me through the, if it's true, the, the urinating in poor old. Well, I'm not, I couldn't confirm or deny. I mean, what happened? What, I think what it is, right. Is, is <laughs> it's not that people say you specifically can't do something. I mean, I didn't, I don't. There are, there are, <laughs> I do get why you can't ask a child to shout Sophie Tewang on the radio. <laughs> Looking back now, I understand that. <laughs> have you got the record? Have you got the recording? We're going to play in a clip I, in a minute. Which I do have the recording, but, uh, oh, but it's not one that you have. Um, <laughs> okay. okay, it's for a future Patreon, perhaps. <laughs> Patreon, yeah, know. join the Patreon, guys. It's yeah. uh, <laughs> come, and listen, come and listen to the swearing child. Um, I, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I have a I have a nine year old child by the way a girl which makes um, it, uh, equal. Yeah. I think we could recreate that uh, yeah. Millie <laughs> come upstairs Daddy's working you've always wanted to be a part of it <laughs> your child to work day what have I got to do well <laughs> um, yeah I think it's a case of uh, it's mm. not like a conscious decision I don't like. Again, for someone who doesn't like rejection, why would I do these things that make me be rejected? <laughs> it seems yeah. insane, doesn't it? I love the BBC dearly, but good lord, are they their own worst enemy sometimes? You know, you <laughs> you, they, you can't when you know after th- things they batten down the hatches. So after you know, uh, Saxgate, for example, um, you know when Jonathan Ross and Russell Brand um, phoned Andrew Sachs and told him about fucking his granddaughter, <laughs> you know that caused a BBC meltdown. Obviously, thanks to you know largely due to the Daily Mail, uh, but. But it meant that it affected everything. And suddenly there were these rules that came in that said, oh, you can't, you know, you can't say, oh, I don't know, just random things that weren't anything to do with it. But everyone was being ultra, ultra careful. And I was sort of going, well, fine. I, I, get, I understand what you're saying. But explain to me why, what that, if I do that, that will do. And, <laughs> and the answer, they, they can't. Because it's all about somebody up there who has said, well, you just can't do it. So when you start going, well, why? No one's got an answer. It's just, well, you just can't. You're just up there. You know, and it's this yeah. nebulous idea. And I, and I suppose I've always, I've always asked reasons for why we can and can't do things, as I hinted at a moment ago, not just in, in work, but I mean, in, in sort of everything. And, and, and often the answer is, oh, if you stop and think about it in the context that you're doing it in, it's actually fine. Not necessarily the soapy titwank thing. It's <laughs> pretty indefensible. But, but in my indefensible defence, <laughs> do you know what? I, it, it was, a, it was a, 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 it was a massive learning curve that for many reasons. <laughs> because I was hired to do this late night job on the then Virgin Radio, which is not the current Virgin Radio, but the old one. 
Mm. It's now absolute radio, of course. That, but anyway, and I was hired to do weekends, and and the the boss at the time, not there anymore, um, said to me specifically in the first meeting, right? I want you to bait off. I want you to be the guy, right? Who totally <laughs> pushes this, and you, late nights you can do that. It's fine. Mm. Get on with it, right? Because you know you 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 know you're the funny maverick guy, and I want you to to, to get us in the papers and be doing this stuff, right? Mm. Now. So we, we, you know, we, we started doing stuff, a lot of which, it, when I look back on it, it was absolutely appallingly offensive. I mean, really, like, the, if, I, if I, I've said to producers since, and we used to do this, and they, they look at me like, like you used to what? On the radio? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All of these tapes I have, one day I shall be uh, <laughs> thinking about. Um, and that, so it was the, almost the culmination of almost not being told to not do it. Do you know what I mean? The boss kept going really funny really funny keep going keep going this is great you get this is so funny and and we did this uh it was called swearing hangman for the under 12s that was the name <laughs> and we did it for six months and uh, every week this until they got a complaint where some lady who'd been listening uh had, had heard this and and you know phoned up and gone this is terrible and got onto ofcom or whatever and um and, and then Ofcom came down on it rightly, uh, like a ton of bricks. There was a fine involved. And the boss who'd been saying, do this, do this, do this, carry on. This is really funny. It's great. We're getting a really cult good audience, you know, overnights for this. Just went, oh, I didn't know he was doing that. The Maverick, what's he doing? Breaking all those rules. Outrageous. No, we'll fire him. If you halve the fine, we'll fire him. So that's what happened. And you sort of go, but you said, no, no. So it's a big lesson of, of actually everyone's a fucking idiot. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it's great. I mean, we obviously in comedy need more people to, as, as you say, ask why. Why can't we do this? Because otherwise, and I think it's already happened, you, you can try and fight against the tide to a certain extent, but it's that, as you say, that amorphous blob of PC kind of just encompasses everything. And you think, well, if I don't push back a little bit. it's Yes, it, it's a bit that, I think. I think, the, um, you know, the politically correct argument uh that gets banned around i'm not you know uh, I, I see that from both sides i also see the well politically correct is just another word for being sort of nice to people why shouldn't we just be nice to people and i think mm. that's true and, yeah. it, and and things change over time but i think but i think it can at the moment i think the pendulum's possibly gone too far the other way but I, I yeah you're right comedy has to be able to comedy's there to be anti-establishment but certainly mm. anti the tide isn't it you know, that's the point. It's about standing in the tide, shouting at it, realising you can't change it, but feeling better because you're shouting at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's, um, let's move on to safer grounds with your broadcasting career. <laughs> with, uh, we had a million clips to choose from, but I thought we'd choose a brief extract from your brilliant um, <laughs> Radio 4, Soundscape, The Skewer. So let's have a listen to a clip from a recent episode, the latest episode from series two. Please, sir, I want some more. Excuse me, did the honourable lady just call me scum? Right, so, scum, subhuman scum. Order! Jennifer Curie says you've repeatedly... Uh... From the outset, we were totally clear that we wanted nothing more complicated than a Canada-style relationship. Here's what we can expect from tonight's debate between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Hey, Waldorf, I was one horrible man. Horrible. Is that a toupee you're wearing or did your cat die? <laughs> Hi there, it's Paul McCartney. I'm getting crazy, but don't tell anyone. My new album's called Do 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 Do. 
is the government's guidance to single parents who have regular contact with their children who live in a different county? Uh, there are restrictions on household contact, uh, alas. Nice try. All pregnant women are being encouraged to take up an offer of a free plate of salad before the winter. The first thing Washington Democrats will do if Biden gets elected is execute the baby. Please, Donald, please stop lying, will you? It's so crazy. Uncle. Just stop, okay? <laughs> I did love this. I did. It was great, John. I'm being uh, Thanks, being honest Nathan. with my word, Grace. Now I really did love this. So, uh, I don't, don't know whether you heard because you've heard all the episodes, the Kim Noble episode. I don't know whether you've heard his podcast, Futile Attempts. Yes, I've he's, heard. He's, I have. I've heard the first one of that. Yes, yeah. someone pointed me towards it. Yeah, yeah. I love the soundscape idea. I, with the amount that you do, and and the amount in this, you know, the beautiful soundscape idea. So much going on. And you've talked in your book and elsewhere about so many comedic thoughts in your mind, potentially at inappropriate times, as we've as we've talked about. Yeah. Does your mind does your mind work in a in a similar way to this podcast at all? Is there is there a lot going on in it comedically? Ideas competing with each other, or are you kind of one project at a time? You know. I think my innate fear of rejection has led to me spinning <laughs> many, many, many plates in project yeah. terms because you you sort of have to so if one plate smashes to the ground i say one <laughs> i mean 90 percent of your plates <laughs> smash to the ground you've got to try and keep the remaining 10 percent of the plates going um mm. i think that yes my the skewer is is sort of like the inside of my it's like a direct line to the inside of my head which is sort of terrifying mm. but it does sound a bit like that in there. I, when I pitched mm. it, I, I found that I couldn't explain what it was. Mm. Uh, and that's quite hard in a pitching meeting, uh, to, <laughs> you know, to a commissioning editor. And you sort of go, well, it's a sort of noise. It's a news <laughs> noise. It's got the news in it, but it's music as well. And it's noise and it's mashed. It's, and it's sort of flows. And I don't know, can we do it? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and they, thank goodness, Sean Ed at Radio 4 just sort of, said make one so we can hear what you're talking about and that yeah. was great. and then we did yeah and then everyone got it i think that's yeah so if that's the inside of your mind how, how are you with regards to the opposite of that how are you with silence how are you with a lack of work so i do struggle if there's no work yeah so i have to be constantly coming up with ideas or something in terms of actual silence to mm. get to your point I, I i adore it and i i wouldn't have the radio on or mm. anything else and one of the my most memorable and best times, uh, and you touched on travel writing earlier, mm. um, uh, which I which I also love. I'm very lucky to be able to do because if someone sends you halfway across the world to do something really weird and write about it, that's fantastic. Yeah, you've been to some incredible places. Yeah, and, and one of the best was in Alaska on my own in a log cabin in the middle of absolute middle of no roads to this, you know, in the middle of nowhere. I was dropped off, left to fend for myself with some bear spray in case. <laughs> some bear spray if a bear's close enough to spray it you're pretty much dead <laughs> is my theory. um and and it was absolute silence of course there was no electricity mm. nothing i had a wood burning stove i had to go and get wood and and, uh, and all this stuff and it was me and a <laughs> and a book and a kindle that soon ran out uh because there's nowhere to charge it and i uh, and it was and all you're you're alone with your thoughts and i was for quite some time mm. there uh, and and i would talk to myself and and will still talk to myself in in situations. I'll almost narrate my own life out loud <laughs> if I'm because if travelling on your own is is a bit weird, you know. If you are yeah. shoved in the middle of wherever in the world and you you are 
you are on your own and and it's a case mm. of okay well i've got to make my way over there and do do those things that's all you've got is your own thoughts and brain but i quite quite yeah. like the silence of it yeah there was just a few moments in that in that series you know john holmes does there was, there, there was a moment where i really liked the idea of i think it was who was that guy you were with amir wasn't it amir giles oh yeah amir yeah giles yeah he was saying there's we we think sometimes there's more going on than we understand but he was saying there's less going on than we understand which is quite nice yeah. less thinking is required and in stressful situations let's get rid of all the kind of peripheral thoughts because it's imagination that's the problem sometimes we imagine worst case scenarios when we're stressed or anxious what is really going on what's if we strip all that away what have we got and also what fundamentally makes us happy to come back to something we talked at at the start i mean we mentioned before um we came on air today <laughs> um, that I had terrible toothache for the last 24 hours. And I vowed this morning, as I vowed several times and then forgotten about it the next day. But I think I'm going to vow and keep to this vow this time that if I haven't got toothache, I'm happy. <laughs> you know, it's something as simple as that, isn't it? If you're, I mean, people say it all the time, as long as you've got your health, you should be happy. And we ignore yeah, that because uh, we think yeah, about yeah. so many other things. Well, and you're right. And I, I was just, you know, mentally there, as you were saying that, going back over what I've just said, which sounds all very sort of, oh, it's about me not having any work, you know, and it, which, which, which is all we've got, really, isn't yeah, it? Do you know yeah. what I mean? And whereas yeah. you, you sort of do have to take a step back and go, well, actually, you know, I'm aware that through this pandemic, a lot of my friends have absolutely had no work because they do stand up. And yeah. that's gone. And I, I, I've dabbled in it, but it's not my thing particularly. And, um, and I, and, and it's so it's, it's, it's not something that's been ripped away from me. If you see what I mean? So, but I can imagine how they're all feeling because I had my radio stuff taken away. But in the grand scheme of the world, where there's people dying and all the rest of it, and la la la, you sort of do have to go. Oh, you know, but does, does do I matter really? You know, it, I'm, I'm as you say, I'm sort of healthy. I'm fine. You know, it's it's okay. <laughs> Worst things could happen. And again, perspective, isn't it? You know, when my daughter broke her arm when she was tiny, 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 tiny. And you find yourself in hospital trying to deal with a, a, a you know, toddler um, with a shattered arm that, that had broken so badly, stupid child, um, that, that they thought, well, this might not grow. Nature might not grow this arm. We, she's going to have to have an operation every year to artificially mm. grow mm. her arm. She, fortunately, they did a good job the first time around. And it was fine. But you do find yourself pacing corridors going, actually, nothing matters, does it? really mm. and, and like when my wife gave birth and you you know you're sort of going oh, i hope everything's all right and, and on the second child you know she won't mind me saying i'm sure you know she nearly died uh mm. and, and there was a terrible emergency happened on child two mm. really quite bad and and then you find yourself walking corridors going going what if what if no one comes out of this you know what if the child because they were both in danger here and mm. and then it's it's moments like that. But of course, then then you lose a radio job, and that nonsense <laughs> of pacing corridors goes out the window. Because this is now the most important thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I wonder how we can hang on to these things better. Because I think it does make you happier, perspective, and all those things in those moments. Because yeah, a comedian's life or a broadcaster's life is full of rejection, full of those moments of happiness. Yeah. And if we only can hang on to these things better, perspective and um not having toothache or whatever it is yeah. it's almost impossible to do though because i feel for you, you after say, this i'm going to go and pace my hallway thinking just just say soapy tit wank over and over again that's uh, <laughs> that's my um 
It was a long yes. time ago, Nathan. A long time. <laughs> you know. That's what a psychologist does. He brings uh, uh, brings back know. memories you actually don't want to remember. <laughs> I was young. I was young, and Ofcom needed the money. <laughs> <laughs> but you weren't nine years old, John. That's I the wasn't. thing. No. <laughs> so as we as we come to to a conclusion, I mean. What's going to happen in the next 50 years of your life, John? And, you know, you mentioned um, that meeting in the lift. I mean, that's quite, you know, a bit of luck, isn't it? And you talk about fate. You've touched upon religion and you talked about uh, ghosts in your book as well and religion and fate and luck and all these different elements I wanted to talk to you about. So it's trying to bring them together in one. I mean, we, your life started, of course, with, a, with, with luck, didn't it? Yeah. At one month old, you know, you were chosen by those parents and it could have been and i think you mentioned this in the book don't you? you you talk about that's it's luck isn't it you could have been chosen by the next people and you could have had a totally different life it's a little sliding doors isn't it as well you know it's a, you're you're right you know my, my parents used to say you know when they were telling me about adoption and and, and how we you know we basically chose you out of a lineup of babies okay. and the reason they chose me my mum would say was because of you know i was i mean i was i was tiny i learned yesterday on the adoption thing i was two weeks premature didn't know that before um right. but i was tiny i was like four pounds or something right so right. my mum said all you were really were two big brown eyes and 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 I quote her the sorest bottom of any child I'd ever seen. Very much she'd been a children's nurse. That was pretty bad. So she she uh, and so they chose me. But yeah, what happens if they walked onto the next one along and gone? Oh, we like that one, and then had that one, and then who's picking me? And again, yeah, you're right. Nature, nurture, totally different life because that couple might not have might they might not have had monty python albums or whatever you know where mm. where would would i be doing and it is a question i can't answer would i be doing this if five minutes earlier someone else had picked me out of a lineup of babies yeah don't know don't know the answer to that fascinating though i find it really interesting yeah and maybe it all comes down to these little things like as i say my grandma picking up a video camera or your dad you know showing you monty python your whole life comes from these moments as a child I yeah think. Um, but you have to i think you have to think if you, you know you're sort of talking about how to deal with stuff you do have to think as much as rejection and things at the time and in the moment hurt and uh, and can get you down certainly and uh, uh, and all the rest of it when i look back and when, when I had that very, you know, low 2016, 2017, I guess, because that was also coincided with when I let go, got let go from the Now Show on Radio 4, which was another a program I'd been doing for a long time. And I'm not saying I had the right to be doing it, but the, the, the method in which I was let go, let's just say I didn't think was right, uh, <laughs> you know, or, or the right way to, be, to deal with something like that. But, but anyway, but, I, but if that hadn't have happened, the skewer wouldn't exist because I wouldn't have needed to come up with the idea or even thought of it because I'd, I'd be sort of coasting along doing the now show. Perhaps, perhaps I don't know, but you know, mm. from, from that comes something else each time somewhere along the line has to, doesn't mm. it? Otherwise no one would move forward ever. So I think, yeah. uh, you know, you have to, and then in low moments you have to think, Oh, well last time it was terrible. Something good came out of it actually. Eventually. Yeah. You know, it might take yeah. some time. And people would say to me at the time, you know, close friends and stuff would just say, oh, you'll be fine. You know, I had no, I mean, I had no work. I mean, I, you know, mm. I literally, it, before the pandemic, I had nothing for you. <laughs> you know, I got, yeah. I was like, why can't I get, a, I, I, uh, you know, which again, it happens to many of us, I realised. But it was, it was difficult. People kept saying, oh, find something will come along. But it really felt like it wouldn't at the time. 
And I, yeah. you know, I was looking around for something else to do in a completely different, you know, I see what else can, what else do I have any skills? No. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. My dad was going, you can't even change a bloody bike tire. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, and I, and I realized I don't, you know, so what do I, what skills do, I'm going to have to go and learn something, which is fine, <laughs> but what I've no interest in anything, you know, and it was a tough, it was tough. You know, one, th- one thing I, I just wanted to, um mention actually i mean talking about you know psychology and mental health in this business it's we've touched upon this many times in this series that um broadcasting comedy is bad it's bad for your mental health generally whether it's the rejections or whether it's anything else but it's just something i wanted to pick up on you i I was listening to you on the desert island dicks podcast which i thought was brilliant um it was really good Um, and um you just mentioned whether you want to mention this again but i i found it quite illuminating we can name him or we can't name him you were you you're asked to name some dicks in the in in the industry, so maybe yeah. if we don't want to name them here, we don't have to because there are dicks in this industry, as there are dicks in. But it was so as your book is, and as all your work is, but you know, particularly your book, it's so so beautifully honest. Like mm. I don't think anyone in this business asked to name dicks from the comedy industry. They'd say, "Oh yeah, there was this cleaner or something." Some someone like you know, you went right to the top. I think of TV and film. I went, they're dicks. <laughs> this is why. And this is why I didn't have any work. Can you yeah. see? <laughs> yeah. But I absolutely loved it because it's, it's, it, it, it's hardly ever illuminated in this way. It's why a lot of comedians and a lot of broadcasters have mental health issues because this business <laughs> is, it's not just these people. And these people could have just been having an off day with you. They could be lovely people. Who knows? But the industry is certainly full of, of, of dicks. Yeah. I won't be naming them now. Um, <laughs> but I think but the, um, the suspicion is that I'm also one of them. Do you know what I mean? You know, I think we're all, we're, all, we're all dicks, really, aren't we? It was more the sense of the story you tell is a story I've had quite a few times. As you, as you go higher up the industry, you know, you're, you're surrounded with, with the higher echelons of people. And then suddenly you just see, oh my God, is this, is this it? Is this what I've heard about? And the story was on the Desert Island Dick, so we won't repeat it, but it was just being totally ignored, totally being made to feel like the lowest of the low scum, not even, not even a human being, let alone a, a broadcaster with your you know, very long and um, distinguished CV. But it shouldn't matter because if we're going to go through life as we all are, and particularly after COVID, hopefully learning from this, hopefully being nicer people, whoever you are, you know, it doesn't matter what your CV is. And this industry is still full of people that will not talk to you because you're not the right person, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, yes, you're right. And I, I I mean, the honesty point I think is important, but if you are a radio presenter, and I learned this on XFM, because I, I'd always had, I'd always been doing an act, of course. Because if you go on the radio, you know you're you're writing and and performing what you've written. Now it is you doing it, but it's a construct, right? It has to be. XFM taught me, um, and my producers there who had worked in that sort of radio daily were like, no, you need to let the audience in here because, you know, you you need to be honest is what you need to be. So let's mm. just be, just start being honest. And and this was um, uh, Simon Fowler and Dave Masterman, who who I worked with there, um, who 
and my boss, Chris Bourne at the time, who were brilliant. And they were like, no, 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 be, be on it. Just tell us about your family. If something goes wrong, tell, tell us about it, you know, on air. Mm. And I never really thought of doing that before because mm. it, I thought, why would anyone be interested in that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it turns out because people are. And so you, can, you, you build up a relationship. And, and again, it's, it's about being honest. And I like to think I sort of am, in, mm. as anyone would read the, read the book will testify. <laughs> and again, it's treating people with yeah, respect. I mean, I like, to, I like to think I'm pretty good at treating the people I work with fairly well. You know, mm. but there will be, of course, there will be people out there go, what is he talking about? He is a dick, this guy. <laughs> of course, you know. Well, the final reveal of this podcast is Mike, the producer, of course, worked with you for many years. And I I ploughed him for stories as to how you were a dick. Oh, but no, apparently you're lovely. So, um, oh, that's very nice of Mike. And you are lovely. <laughs> but of course, you know, there are, you can push the boundaries in comedy and be lovely and say hello to people and not be exactly the same as Beep, that person that you mentioned <laughs> on Desert Island Dicks. And indeed Beep as well. Can't believe it. Him? Him as well. I thought they were lovely. They write children's oh, books. No, I'm not giving you any clues. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, he literally doesn't. So that's uh, the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which you make kind of clear on the podcast as well. So, um, yeah, yeah. please listen to um, Des Island Dicks. Please listen to your brilliant. I mean, we haven't mentioned your huge CV and all the things you can listen to. the The One Show podcast is brilliant. The skewer, oh, yeah. um, the skewer, the book everything else um john thank you so much and again honesty thank you so much for being you're honest welcome. about what, you, what you're going through at the moment i mean my goodness good luck with it all i mean what a what a huge moment in your life to be serious for a second you know what a, what a huge moment so good luck with it <laughs> there's you. the silence there's the silence <laughs> there's the, the silence, silence we all enjoy. <laughs> everyone listening to this has just gone Oh my God, the silence. He <laughs> shut up at that. Yeah. I told you I was going to treat this like an actual therapy session, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. Thank you, John. Thank you. Um, <laughs> finally, great to have you on Psychomedy. So that is our show for today. Join us again next week for more Psychomedy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify UK, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you liked it, please give us a five-star review. It helps other people to find us and any psychopaths leave three-star reviews. Psychomedy was written and presented by me, Nathan Cassidy, BS in Psychology, and produced and edited by Mike Hansen, BA English for Pod People Productions, theme music by Mike as well. So that's Psychomedy. Please subscribe, rate, and listen back on all the great episodes so far. They're listed in the video clips and more at psychomedy.co.uk and if you'd like to support the podcast for five pound a month and get loads of bonus uncut video and more please go to patreon.com slash nathan cassidy follow us on social media sorry what's my cut of that <laughs> only if you release the soapy tit wank video um follow us on... <laughs> it's not a fucking <laughs> video nathan <laughs> just to be clear <laughs> it will be when my millie upstairs um <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, that's me sacked from this podcast. Follow <laughs> sacked from your own podcast. <laughs> that's when that's when you know things are bad. Follow us on social media at Pop People UK at Psychomedy Pod at Nathan Cassidy at Soapy Titwang and at John Holmes One. Thank you, John. Lots of love to you all, and see you again next week. Pod people.